Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. Today is Friday, March 11th. I'm Robert Mays. Really fun show for you guys today. Joel Corey from CBS, who does a fantastic job writing about the salary cap, the finances, the mechanics of the NFL is going to be joining us a little bit later. We're going to do a primer on the way that certain teams use the cap, the way that they approach it, manipulate it. Really enjoyed our conversation with Joel. Before we do that, though, I am thrilled to welcome my good friend, ESPN's Bill Barnwell. Barnwell, how you doing? Mays, you uh, gave me a trade scoop as we began to record here today. So this is amazing. So this week... You and I have been on the phone or on a Zoom twice. The first time, you said we had to change whatever conversation we were going to have. The one we're going to have today about the lessons we can learn from recent free agency. I was like, why would we have to do that? And you said, because Russell Wilson just got traded to the Broncos. No, no, no. I was like, oh, did you see the news? And you're like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers signed. Who cares? Like, it's not a big deal. And I was like, no, the other news makes. <laughs> Which was an amazing moment. It was great to hear from you. This one isn't yeah. quite as big. But when you know. signed on to do this show, uh, we were, I said something happened. And I got to break the news to you that Khalil Mack has been traded to the Chargers. Mm, how do you feel about Khalil Mack getting traded from the team you loved, the team you wish you could maybe stop loving, I suppose, <laughs> the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, I think it makes sense for both sides. Uh, the yeah. Bears are, in my opinion, in full rebuild mode. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to get a top 50 pick. They got a second round pick this year uh, to move on from Khalil Mack, who's you know, 31 years old. It's going to cost $30 million against the cap this year. I don't oh, know uh, what the tinkering is going to be with his deal. If there's going to be any sort of relief that they're going to get from the Chargers or mm-hmm. if it's just going to be a straight trade with no details kind of in there. But they save $6 million against the cap. They get a pick back for him. In my opinion, the Bears are starting over. This is a team that doesn't have a lot of good players on it, doesn't have enough assets. And I think this is definitely a move with that second part in mind. So we're going to talk about free agency today, but taking a step back and considering the Khalil Mack trade, which I mean, feels like it was only a couple years ago and somehow feels forever ago at the same time. Who won? Did anybody win? I think nobody won. You know, with the Bears, I think giving up two first round picks and signing an extension for any non quarterback, the list of guys for whom that's worth it is so, so small. When has that really worked out? I think you could argue that with Jalen Ramsey, it has worked out. It it has gone well for the Rams and Jalen Ramsey. And I just feel like corner is such a unique position when it comes to that. You know, we can talk about coverage versus pass rush all day, but the ways that a cornerback specifically can flip the math for you on the back of your defense Mm -hmm. and how old Jalen Ramsey was when he got that, when they made that trade, I just think the needle to thread for that sort of package is so incredibly small that it's really, really hard to recoup value if you're going to give up that much for one player. Was the best 
part of the Khalil Mack era, literally the first half of his first game in a Bears uniform. Yes. <laughs> it, was, that, it was a pretty good half, to be fair. It was. Khalil Mack was incredible in 2018. Like, incredible. Yeah. The, the Bears are the number one defense in football by far. A defense that almost carried that team to a playoff win. I mean, they won 12 mm-hmm. games that year. It, a defense so good that it warped our understanding of the Matt Nagy era entirely. <laughs> so, some of us, some of us have the uh, the Matt era Nagy, Matt Nagy era warped. Uh, I'm not going to say who did and who did not, but I mean, yeah. I, and I think Khalil Mack is still a really good football player. He when might not be, I think, I think the health is a concern here. That's, that's the and one think, thing I'd be worried about if I were the Chargers. And I think the other thing is that he's been he's been playing through injuries quite a bit. Like he didn't Correct. miss a game in 2019 and 2020, but he was playing through stuff quite a bit. And I, I'm I'm a little surprised. You know, I'm not surprised that Cleo Mack got traded, and I can see why the Chargers would have made this move. But they were a team where I could see them going after JC Jackson. Like I, I kind of thought they might make a bigger splash in the secondary than they would have up front. I guess this doesn't preclude them from doing it, but it I doesn't. feel like it doesn't, but like, I also sort of feel like I'm less likely to think that's going to happen now that they made this trade. I still think they're going to make some moves in the secondary, and I also think they're going to make some moves up front. They're sure. going to spend. They're going to be adding players to that defense. They are not done. But this is the benefit of having a cyborg that's making $7 million. <laughs> like, that's what this is, is you can be aggressive in these moments. Giving up a, six, a second and a six-round pick for Khalil Mack, even at his age, even with his kind of spotty injury history over the last couple of years, you're paying him $22 million this year against the cap. That's more than palatable when you're a team in the Chargers position right now. Mm-hmm. And, and they can go year to year. Like, they have the flexibility now with this Khalil Mack deal 100%. Where- if it if it sucks and he gets hurt, like you can get out of it pretty easily. So I, I think that gives you an advantage where you're not trading for a guy like Clemac and then giving him a massive deal with huge signing bonuses and option bonuses that make it extremely difficult to move on if he doesn't work out. So I I mean it wasn't the move I was thinking for the Chargers, but I'm fine with it. And I certainly think we know what the upside is. Like the idea of having Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack rushing quarterbacks is absolutely terrifying. I also think that you have a, a point of connection with, with the coaching staff, with the Chargers and Khalil Mack, right? Jay Rogers, mm-hmm. their defensive line coach. Actually, I don't know his title exactly with the Chargers, but he was the defensive line coach in Chicago. And once he's the run game coordinator or something with the Chargers. And then obviously, Brandon Staley. I mean, Brandon yeah. Staley was in that room coaching Khalil Mack. They know how they're going to want to deploy him. And now having both of those guys, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa together, if Mack can stay healthy, oh boy. And now you add some cheat Because I think in the interior... You, know, you can find guys that aren't necessarily break the bank type players. You know, mm-hmm. can we go out and get two to three guys in the three to five million dollar range that fill a really specific role, you know, like Sebastian Joseph Daylight sort of players? I mean, those are the guys mm-hmm. they need on the interior. So I think there's ways for them to piece together the other holes they have on defense while also adding a superstar at what is a really reasonable price tag, in my opinion. I mean, it was more than that much, but. The guy who played such a huge role for the Rams in the Super Bowl was Sean Robinson. Where we're going to get to him, by the way, he's a name I have written down. That was not a splashy signing, but I mean that dude was a monster in that game and, and let the Rams do a lot of what they wanted to do up front. Um, let me ask you one more Bears question, and then we'll get started. Does anyone else get traded from this? Oh my God, Nick Foles is still on this roster. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> oh my. 
I, I was like, wow, Spot, uh, Spot Track forgot to take Nick Foles off the roster. And then he's I still on no, the roster. And the funniest part about it contracts. is that I think he's still on the roster because if they trade him, they save $8 million. And if they cut him, they only save $3 million. So my assumption is that they're waiting to see how the quarterback dominoes end up falling and see if someone is willing to give up a seventh round pick for $4 million of Nick Foles. Can we please trade Nick Foles to Washington? Just just, just one time for your old friend, Bill. I just want to see one more Nick Foles-Carson Wentz battle in a different uh, NFC city. I don't know if anybody else is necessarily a candidate to be traded. I, I mean, Eddie Jackson, they would save money if they traded him because, I mean, his contract right now, if they cut him, it's awful. I mean, he's $18 million in dead money. And yeah. So that's the other one that if they get something for him, maybe they're into that. But other than that, I don't think there are that many guys that'd be worth dealing. I mean, if they wanted to move on from certain players, they could. Yes, I mean, they could trade Robert Quinn. I don't know if they would get a ton for him, even though he was great last year. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'd be open to anything. I mean, I think that you need some semblance of competency you know, with your team I, if you're going to try to start this or this regime off on the right foot. But mm-hmm. I, I'm down with whatever they think they need to do to recoup players and resources and try to rebuild this roster because we've talked about it in this show plenty of times it came up today kevin fishbane wrote for the athletic about if you're looking at the roster how many building blocks do the bears really have and that list is really really short we could do we could do an entire separate podcast on the conversation you had where you apparently independently had this conversation about bears building blocks with uh other nfl people at the combine i was at dinner with nate yep. Deontay Lee and Seth Galina, and I can't remember how it came up, but we were talking about the Bears and just the fact that the idea, even over the last couple of years, that all they needed was a quarterback and then they were going to be fine was just mm-hmm. such a misnomer the entire time. Like, this is a talent-deficient roster. They are not good. They, they are not good and they don't have picks. It, it's a really, really bad situation to be in, and I think this sort of move is with that in mind. You're just trying to dig yourself out of this hole and figure out how you're going to start whatever this soft rebuild process looks like. You know what's the best part about all this, Maze? Is that you just mentioned the misnomer of, oh, they have a good roster as long as they just get a quarterback. And now that quarterback, the one who was holding this team back, is suddenly a hot free agent all over again. What a wonderful time to be alive in the NFL. (laughs) I uh, I'll, I'll let one last thing to put a bow on this before we move on. This isn't going to do anything to dampen my enthusiasm about the 2022 Chargers. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yes, no, I mean that that was always going to be in the cards anyway. But uh, I, I think honestly, you could talk yourself into anybody joining the Chargers and being like, "All right, you know, like we got this is a good one for us." You know, I mean, outside. Of I do not say we and us. Don't don't start that. I, I will say. It uh yeah it's when I was getting excited about it yesterday and thinking about how they would use their cap space this is not what I had in mind so I'm fine they're gonna be a fun team I, I think that this makes sense again for both teams all right so what we're gonna do today yeah. I wanted to take a look back as we get ready for this year's version of free agency I wanted to explore some success stories some pitfalls in recent free agency some lessons we can learn from the last several years from what teams have done. So before we dig into that, I wanted to ask you just on a general level, sure. which teams, in your opinion, have used free agency the best over the last, let's say, three to five years? 
Oh boy. Well, I mean, this is going to be a race for us to name the one team that stands out, right? I think there's a couple that have done okay. I I would start with the Buffalo Bills. Yes, I would agree with that. I, I think that's where you go. And I think when I was putting together some of these lessons that I, I, I looked at over the last few years, like there are admittedly situations where the Bills added players that would otherwise typically have been bust, where I think other players of that archetype have failed. And the Bills have gotten a lot out of those players. And I think there is always that question of how much of free agency is uh, adding the right player versus how much of it is just getting a player and putting him in the right situation to succeed. And there's obviously some elements of both to it. But I think for the Bills, I mean, whether you want to attribute it to, to great scouting, whether you want to attribute it to great coaching, great culture, just the fact that they've managed to sign every single ex-Panther who has ever played in the NFL, and Sean McDermott already knew all these guys. Like, the Bills have managed to build an entire roster out of a couple drafts and free agency. And that is so hard to do. I mean, we, we, we talked about it for years on our old podcast about, like, the Jaguars trying to do this and year after year failing and, and coming up with players who were disappointments. And the Bills, I think, pretty consistently. I mean, so many players on this roster have played not not just as well as they did in other places, but significantly better in Buffalo than they did elsewhere. Of course, the safeties, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier start. Um, but then it's, you know, guys up front. It is guys like Cole Beasley. Um, you know, I, I just think they've done such a great job of, of building that roster. And they hit, I would say, dramatically more on free agents, just about anybody else. I, I could think of maybe a couple teams we'll talk about that are close, but the Bills are just on a different level to me than everybody else when it comes to how much value they've gotten out of free agency. I agree. And I think that we'll look at them and learn some lessons and and really some numbers stuck out to me about why that's the case and maybe why they have some more success stories and why even some of the failures aren't as prominent in our minds. And there are some things I absolutely think that we can point to. A team, this is just recency bias, but the, the Bengals got a lot out of free agency last year. And oh, you yeah. look at the way they built their defense. And I think that there are some lessons there. I feel like the Patriots, it's a different types of different type of free agency, 2021 excluded. But mm-hmm. what they've been able to do with players on the market, they've gotten a lot out of some pretty marginal investments over sure. the last five years. And I think there's something to be learned from there as well. There are a couple other teams that I think we could probably throw out there, but those are the three teams that I had listed right here. All right. Let's get to our lessons. What was the okay. first one that came to mind for you as you look at the last several years of free agency? Oh, boy. This, I, I, this one's probably been good for about 20 years now. <laughs> do, you know, do you know where I'm going? No, I don't. I'm, I'm excited about it, though. Okay. This is my lesson to you. Robert Mays, if you're going to be the jam of a football team, please do not sign former Patriots unless you either like <laughs> losing your money or it's Tom Brady. Let me give you a list of free agents who have left New England over the last few years, May. It's 2017, it's Logan Ryan, who I thought was fine for Tennessee. Um, a pretty good end of his deal. Uh, Martellus Bennett, Jabal Shear. 2018, Nate Solder, who, oh boy, the Giants, maybe the worst move of the entire Dave Gettleman era. Malcolm Butler, Dion Lewis, Danny Amendola, Johnson Batamosi. 2019, Trey Flowers, who was cut today by the Lions. Trent Brown, Corderell Patterson, Dwayne Allen, who never even played for the Dolphins. 2020, Kyle Van Noy. Dwayne Allen signed with the Dolphins? He did sign with the Dolphins. Brian Flores' first year there. And then I think was cut at the end of camp. Maybe I don't even remember that. Injury That's settlement. Amazing. 
Kyle Van Noy, who only lasted a year in Miami, Danny Shelton, and Steven Goskowski, who was a mess for Tennessee. And last year, I will say, Joe Tooney was pretty good for the Chiefs. So I don't think you can maybe have that one be the issue. But Adam Butler, the one other signing. So if Bill Belichick thinks that this guy is not worth signing, chances are he's not worth signing. And I think it's going to be very tough because there is a really good or really prominent Patriots player at the top of free agency this year. So that takes me to mine. And I, I have a couple others that are related to that Patriots point that you made that I want to get to a little bit later on. Okay. But mine is a direct connection with that and the player that you're talking about. I would beware the expensive cornerback. Ooh. If you okay. look at the last several years, okay, even last year, William Jackson, three for 40 and a half. Shaq yeah. Griffin, three for 40. Adoree Jackson, three for 39. Go back a year before that. Trey Waynes, three for 42. Josh Norman, also another recent example of this. Tremaine Johnson, maybe the worst example oh, of all of these over sure. the last three to five years. Byron Jones has been disappointing. Yeah, I'd say Byron Jones hasn't been quite as disappointing as some of these other guys. He had better flashes in Miami, but I think you could probably lump him in here as well. That's a position where there's a reason these guys hit the market. Mm-hmm. And when you have that sort of proximity, your old staff and the teams that are letting these guys go – it would be buyer beware for me. If you're mm-hmm. into that $13, $15 million a year range, even creeping up over 10. You know, mm-hmm. Ronald Darby getting three for 30 from the Broncos last year. He he's more connected to another thing I want to talk about later. But mm-hmm. if you're getting into that $13, $15 million a year range, I think that's a really, really dicey place to be shopping. And JC Jackson's gonna even be more expensive than that this year. Mm-hmm. JC Jackson will probably be 20 million. I would yes. imagine close to 20 million per year. Now, I mean, there is one very prominent exception here. Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore, who's pretty dang good for the Patriots. So, I mean, is there anything you can hang your hat on? I mean, in terms of guys, because I would say not only has Stefan Gilmore been good, but I think James Bradbury has been pretty good for the Giants as well. James Bradbury is another one, but I mean, they're looking to trade him already. So it just, even with that, there, there was sure. a short little window where it was successful. The Gilmore yeah. thing, I think the lesson to be learned from the Gilmore thing, and this is one that we can apply to a lot of different players, you have to ask why they're hitting free agency. Sure. And with Gilmore, it was a new regime in Buffalo. I yep. mean, Robert Woods was a free agent that same year. There were a lot of guys from that team that ended up being pretty productive on free agent deals elsewhere because a new regime came in. Those weren't their guys. They let them walk out the door. And I think that would be the lesson to be learned from the Stefan Gilmore move, in my opinion. I think that's fair. And, and, I, and I do think that um, there were extenuating circumstances there for sure. I was a little surprised at the time, if I remember correctly, that they did not franchise him. Um, I kind of felt like that would have made sense, and it did not actually happen. Um, and I guess Bill Belichick probably better at this than most other people. But yeah, I mean, I think... Overall, you're looking at a very narrow window to hit. And I, hmm, JC Jackson's really good, though. I'd still be worried about it. I'm more open to the Carlton Davis path than the JC Jackson path, just because I can explain why Carlton Davis isn't getting retained by the Bucks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the Patriots don't typically franchise people. Even yeah, when they had like Devin McCourty, they let Devin McCourty hit the market and then re-signed him. But the Patriots had all that money last year. If they wanted yeah. J.C. Jackson to be a part of their long-term plan, it's not like there were avenues precluding them from doing that. They chose to spend on other players outside and build their roster in a certain way that didn't include J.C. Jackson. 
with the Bucks, there's so many guys they had to pay, and there's mm-hmm. only one franchise tag. Yep. I think that's how Carlton Davis is hitting the market. That's more specific to me and, and a little bit more illuminating to me than the J.C. Jackson market. But couldn't you argue that they should have just paid Carlton Davis if he was that high of a priority for their roster before he even got to free agency? Possibly. I just think it all stacked up. You know, like Shaq Barrett was a one-year, $4 million signing the year before, and sure. now they have to pay him $20 million a year. I just think there were certain aspects of it where it was hard to understand exactly what their roster would look like when they were making some of those decisions. Can I ask you another question unrelated to this topic? Of course. Who has the best roster in the NFC South? It's the Saints, I think, but it's it's not easy it's to answer amazing, that question. It's an amazing question. I'd have to think about it. Like, like I, I think. Are it's we the assuming Saints. the Saints retain Jameis Winston in this hypothetical? No, he's a free agent. We don't know. I'm saying right now, as we're about to hit free agency, who has the best roster in the NFC South? It's still the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's still the Bucks. Have you? You have you have two reliable tackles. You have Evans and Godwin still. I guess you're franchising Godwin. Yeah. Yeah. So on, on the back on the on the defense, I don't know, the secondary is starting to worry me now. Jordan Whitehead's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Carlton Davis is a free agent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have Tryon Shayanka on one end. You have Shaq Barrett still. You have Vitavea. You have the linebackers. You still have Antoine Winfield. I would still say it's the Bucks. Vitavea is the only dude left up front. That's it. There's no one else. There are three interior linemen are free agents. Gronk's a free agent. Blaine Gabbert's a free agent. Their top three running backs are free agents. Three of their four starting defensive linemen are free agents. Like You throwing Blaine Gabbert into that list made me choke. I mean, I know how much you love Blaine Gabbert. That's why I wanted to throw him in there for you. Oh, God. It, it's actually it's a really good conversation. Like, if you go to the... I would encourage all of you to go to the R Lads page for the Bucks, which is just, like, bright red every single spot. There's just, like, like just panic buttons being hit. Yeah, just, like, money is just flying to every part of that roster but they want a super bowl so who cares like like you take that 10 times out of 10 i think that's the i mean that that's what you take away from that is that both of those teams pushed all their chips into the middle understandably so all right what's your next one so i'm gonna go with a slightly different version of that and i'm gonna go to quarterbacks because i'm gonna make the case based on the last five years which is not having a big sample but if a quarterback who is not a hall of famer is on the market it is probably not a great idea to pay them meaningful money. And it probably is an age thing too with a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? Like he has to be over a certain age, and that's the reason he's hitting the market. Right. Like it was it's Brady Rivers. I love that you're I love that you're saying that Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Thank you very much. You're not gonna get any argument from me there. Like I'm like of, of all people, me? You think I'm criticizing Philip Rivers? Come on. <laughs> no, I mean like like those guys were there because they were in their late thirties or early forties. Their their teams were moving on. They had some injury issues. Like that's not. They're they're different from me than this group. Here is a full list, a full accounting of the multi year deals handed out to free agent quarterbacks over the last five years. This is three years or more. Brock Osweiler with the Texans, Mike Glennon with the Bears, Kirk Cousins it's been in a Minnesota. Rough day for me. Kirk, oh, you haven't even got to the end of this end of this list yet, Mays. Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, Nick Foles with the Jaguars, and Teddy Bridgewater with the Carolina Panthers. I mean, that's four deals that those teams were actively trying to get out of before the end of their first season with the team. And Kirk Cousins, <laughs> which I mean, 
I, I, I don't know if the Vikings would go that route again if they could. Like, I think it's been some positive. I, th- I like Kirk Cousins more than most people, but certainly not like a, a slam dunk. I, it, it's just been absolutely brutal. Like, I think yes, that's a really naughty situation. Like, there's so many layers to unpack yes. with that. Right. But, like, you get the idea. I mean, yes. like, if you are desperate for a quarterback, as much as it might seem like getting a guy in free agency might make sense, Unless it, it is a player like a Brady or a Manning, where it is just how how much how long can he hold on for before the bottom falls out? Like it is such a bad place to go out and find that guy. Yeah, it goes back to that question of why is this person hitting the market? Right. Like no team is going to let their quarterback leave if they think he's a viable starter. I guess Teddy, maybe because he was leaving the Saints, but even then, like it's just such a bad spot. Yeah, but even if that. It, he would have gone more when he signed with the Jets. Right. And, and that, he, was a, he was, no one wanted him then either. So that brings me to my next one. Okay. And this, this is a Bill Barnwell special. This is something oh, no? that I have, I know it's, you have taught me this over the years. And, and I think about things differently because of the conversations that we have. Uh oh. You have to evaluate these things over a two year period. You okay, have to evaluate sure. the market for these players over a two year stretch. Sure. And there are a lot, the Teddy Bridgewater thing is a perfect example, right? The Jets got him for very little. Anybody mm-hmm. could have had Teddy Bridgewater. And when you're thinking about what to give him if you're the Panthers, you should keep that in mind. And there are plenty of other recent examples of this. Last year, I have two on different ends of the spectrum. Okay. Nelson Aguilar. Available yeah. for one year, $1 million to the Raiders two off seasons ago. Yep. Then signs an $11 million a year contract with the Patriots. I, I, some alarm bells would be going off in my head there if I were the team seeking out that contract. That, that the, was, the, hold on. Can I, can I talk about Nelson Aguilar for a second briefly? Of course you can. There's like a thing that happens on the internet where you will see fans of a certain fan base like blindly defending a player they just acquired when you've already had to deal with that player on other fan bases and seen how, <laughs> how frustrated they've been with him. Nelson Aguilar is the perfect example of that, where I'm like, you guys should talk to Eagles fans and see what you think about Nelson Aguilar, because I promise you, like, yes, he had a couple of deep catches last year. This is not a good idea, guys. And, and he's a, a perfect example. And I think somebody on the other end of the spectrum yep. is Jadevian Clowney, mm-hmm. right? Jadevian Clowney gets $13 million from Tennessee two years ago. He gets hurt. He comes into the next offseason. The Browns get him for $8 million. Why was Jadevian Clowney a different player in the 2021 spring than he was in 2020? Fair. I mean, unless there is something physical about why he struggled, which he, I mean, Jadevian Clowney is always hurt. So I guess you you could talk yourself into that, but I still but, think that gulf of $5 million, that's where you find bargains. That's where you find values. And that's what he was for the Browns this year. Right. And the risk is different, right? You know, if you're going to take a shot on a guy who was good a year ago, you're typically paying less than what his ceiling might be. If you're paying $11 million for Nelson Aguilar coming off of a great season, you're paying for that level of production. Like you're paying for the, you're locking in that one year where he was great, as opposed to having to deal with the downside of maybe that one year where he was playing at not as high of a level. So I I think it's asymmetrical. A couple other recent examples. Yep. Ronald Darby goes to Washington in 2020 for three million bucks. Mm-hmm. Really nice value. Next year, three for thirty going to the Broncos. Oof. Okay, Robert Quinn is available for next to nothing to get traded to the Cowboys mm-hmm. a few years ago. 
has a really nice year for Dallas, and then the Bears break the bank for him. Mm. He had a really nice season this year. Two years ago, it did not go very well. Dante Fowler, available for very little to the Rams midseason via trade, and then signs a $15 million a year deal to go with the Falcons. There are so many examples of this. And on the flip side, the Patriots do the opposite of this. They look at the overall trajectory of a player. They let somebody else pay them, (laughs) and then they get them back for nothing. Van Noe, Jamie Collins, you just wait until Trey Flowers signs with the Patriots for one year and five million bucks here in a week. Do you want to know how I know Tennessee has improved and how they've become a much better organization? When I, I made this exact joke a couple of years ago about how the Patriots would sign someone or, or Patriots would have someone, he would do really well, sign him, he would leave, he would be a terrible free agent bus somewhere else, he'd come back for on a one-year deal and be really great. And you made this same exact joke today, but with the Texans instead of the Titans. So I, I think that the Tennessee has uh, evolved out of that role for the Patriots. The reason that I said it was the Texans is that it's always a former Patriots guy, right? It has to if be. you look at the Lions with Bob Quinn and, and Patricia, they were the <laughs> they were the mark over the last five years to go after these guys. That was Tennessee at one point. They they have evolved. So I I I'm I feel like Tennessee is now on the high end of former Patriots organizational. Staffers, I feel like like it's Vegas and Tech and the Houston Texans right now maybe competing. So thinking about Trey Flowers on a one year deal, I want to ask you this: When yep. you're thinking about players on one year deals in free agency, sure, is there a through line or a certain set of characteristics that you ascribe to the hits? Is there something you're looking for in the types of one year deals you want to sign with free agents? That's a good question. You know, I, I think it's sort of like you said earlier. Like, why is this guy available on a one year deal? What was it? that he moved to an organization where the coaching was terrible. Like what sort of ceiling has he shown in the past? Is he healthy? Does he have something to prove? Like if you're just plugging in guys on one year deals because nobody else wants them and you're stuck, like, I think that's a problem. But, you know, I, I think even that sometimes work out. I mean, look at Devontae Campbell, you know, a guy who was kind of an afterthought was, you know, a good athlete, but never a great coverage guy in Atlanta. Um, really struggled, wasn't, wasn't really a great player for Arizona, goes to the Packers, he's incredible. I mean, you know, I, I think I would like to tell you that I think those things are true, but I think it's just the reality of, you know, how good is your coaching staff? How good is your culture? What, what can you do to get the most out of a player? And I think certain organizations are going to be able to do that and then get a lot of value out of one-year deals as opposed to some other organizations that are just signing guys on one-year deals because either nobody wants to play there because their cap is a mess or because they don't trust that they can get the most out of a guy in a multi-year deal. Yeah, I think part of it, you can look at some of them and say like, well, what's the value in this? Like Hassan Reddick to me is a good example. For sure. If you're Carolina, you signed a one-year $8 million deal. He has a really nice season and then he's going to leave. So you could say, well, what do you really get out of that? But you get a comp pick if he signs for a really big contract elsewhere. So I think both in the short term and the long term, the simple answer to me is it's better to have good players on your team than to not, even if they're going to walk away after a year, because there is still something you can recoup from that overall plan. Well, you only get the comp pick if the guy, if you don't sign somebody else at a salary level, which is, I, I will say, I mean, I'm a little surprised. Were you surprised Carolina did not franchise either? either of their free agents on the defensive side of the ball. I try not to be like flippant and mean on this show. I'm yeah. not surprised by anything the Panthers do. What does that mean? Well, I, I have no semblance of understanding about what their plan is with any of this. Do you? Okay. Um, 
it sort of feels like they're just shuffling deck chairs until they can actually get a great quarterback. Sure. That's kind of what it feels like to me, too. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I I mean, I don't know. I, like, I want to believe that there's more there. The, the Gilmore thing was so interesting because, like, they made that trade when they were more competitive. I think they felt like, um, you know, maybe they, if they did turn things around, granted, like, I think all of us kind of saw what was happening with Sam Darnold. I didn't think that was likely to happen. I, 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 by the way, I did love the report. I think it was an ESPN report. So I'm not making fun of the report. I'm making fun of what the Panthers are asking for here. But Panthers saying they're willing to trade Christian McCaffrey if they can get a first round pick and a player not making a lot of money. <laughs> sure. That's like me, me and my dynasty league trying to get uh, Christian McCaffrey value as opposed to two years ago. Uh, I'll tr- I'll trade him, but I, but I need a first round pick and a first round pick in the next three years too. Yeah, I, he, Justin Jefferson is the worst player I'm willing to accept for Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Listen, I, in my dynasty league, I have Terry McLaurin, and now I have to live the Wentz life again after having Michael Pittman last year. All I want is to not have Carson Wentz affect my well being. Where where did Michael Pittman finish in wide receiver rankings last year? Like twenty fifth, twenty fifth, thirtieth. I don't know. I'd have to take I'd have to look at it somewhere in that range. I think. I think he was better than that. I don't think he was that low. I don't know about that. He was 16th. And what rankings are you looking at? The, the, the profootballreference.com fantasy positional rankings. And Michael Pittman was the 16th ranked receiver in 2021. So, so I, I think it's pretty clear Carson Wentz can support a useful number one receiver i think terry mclaurin yes it's in, not in be points per game looking at my league and our scoring he was 31st i don't know what your scoring system is man i'm not i'm not gonna I'm not i don't know what you're you probably have idp in your league or something right, total points he was that. 20th so 20th is pretty good yeah I mean, it's fine yeah it was fine I, I i still just rooting for carson wentz is a nightmare I, in any sort of way so i feel for <laughs> washington fans at this point all right what's your next one my next one um Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to an old standby. This is like just me playing the hits. <laughs> Mays, do you know that when teams hand out contracts to running backs, it doesn't usually work out well? It's brutal, man. It's, I, it, it's, when we were doing our free agent preview this week with yeah. offense, I just don't even know what to say about that position because it's just like well what do you what do you want your team to do if you're shopping in this pool you're probably already making a mistake and i know that's a sad thing to say but that's kind of how it feels at this point i mean again leave whatever preconceived notions you have about how much running backs matter at the door this is just what's happened over the last five years these are the three plus year contracts for running backs Le'Veon Bell with the Jets, Jarek McKinnon with the Niners, Danny Woodhead with the Ravens, Carlos Hyde with the uh, with the Browns, Latavius Murray with the Vikings and the Saints, Mark Ingram with the Ravens, Deion Lewis with Tennessee, Shane Vereen with the Giants, Isaiah Crowell with the Jets. I mean, maybe you're looking at the Latavius Murray contract in New Orleans and Mark Ingram with the Ravens as like the best case scenarios. And, and even that, maybe that's too much. Maybe you say, oh, okay, I only want to give a two-year contract out. The two-year contracts are maybe even worse. Cordero Patterson with the Raiders and the Bears. Adrian Peterson with the Saints. Jonathan Stewart with the Giants. Chris Ivory with the Bills. Tevin Coleman with the Niners. Mike Davis with the Bears and the Falcons. TJ Yeldon with the Bills. Brandon Bolden with the Patriots. Melvin Gordon with the Broncos. Jordan Howard with the uh, the Eagles. No, the, the Dolphins, excuse me. 
Jay McKissick with Washington. That's maybe the best hit so far. Peyton Barber with Washington. And then last year, Kenyon Drake with the Raiders. Jamal Williams with the Lions. Devontae Booker with the Giants, who's already been cut. Carlos Hyde with the Jaguars. Mike Boone with the Broncos. And Samaje Pirine with the Bengals. I mean, like, you hit on, like, 5% of these contracts. Like, it, it's just, you're lighting your money on fire. And that sucks. And I don't want to discourage people from paying running backs, but, like, the evidence is there. It's just it's a it's just not a good way to find a useful running back. Yeah, I mean, it, for the most part, when these guys are hitting free agency, it, they're hitting free agency again for a reason. I think you can pay running backs and have it be okay for you. Like the Nick Chubb contract, I think is a really good example. He's a really good player. I can understand handing that out, but Nick Chubb said I hit free agency, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, I mean, we can get to the contracts handed out to running backs as well. That has not always been the best, but I mean. I understand the logic. Like you want to get your your quarterbacks weapons, you want to have a guy you rely upon, but there's just these guys get hurt. They're so inconsistent, and there's just so many guys out there who are good. Like just the sheer staggering number of useful running backs. Like you, you you're just not doing your job if you don't think that you as a GM can go out and find a useful back or a useful pair of backs to bring to camp and have a guy you can have as your your second or third running back behind whoever your starter is. Can I change the tone here a little bit and sure. talk about some positives? Because sure. I think there is a position that if you're going to spend in free agency at the oh. top of the market, it can work oh. out okay for you. I have I have one position like this on my list as well. I want to see if we have the same position. If you look at the best long-term near the top of the market free agent deals of the last five years, yep. there is one position two positions, I guess, that take up a huge portion of that list. I'm really intrigued to see if you have the same position now. I, it's, interior I, off, it's interior offensive line. I, I have center specifically. Yeah, and I think there are some guards that also fit this. Center sure. is the best example, though. Rodney Hudson. Yep. Alex Mack. Yep. Ryan Jensen. Yep. Even the Mitch Morse contract has been just fine for the Bills. Oh, I, so, I don't think the Bills regret signing Mitch Morse for a second. And I think the Corey Lindsay contract is probably headed that direction after yep. them handing that deal out last year for the Chargers. There are some guard contracts that I also think are pretty good, but they're not at the top of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Brandon, Book- Br- Brandon Brooks contract is the best example to me. Uh, the, the Kevin Zeitler, a couple of contracts he's gotten, but sure. center is the best example. If you were going to spend on a center, it has worked out pretty well, especially when you compare it to other positions. Now, if only we had a former... Uh, football center on the podcast who could opine on to why these contracts seem to work out more than, than players to other positions. Do we have anyone who fits that bill? I, I've i thought about this and, yeah. and I just think that it's because what you need out there's a certain stability that comes with that position, right? Like yeah. the guys that are established, it's almost like a disconnect between how much teams value it and how much it actually matters. Like teams are willing to let these guys walk out the door for reasons that I guess make sense. Like with Corey Winsley, for example, the Packers are paying so many other guys. Mm-hmm. The reason that he's leaving is, well, we have to pay Bakhtiari and we have to pay Adams. We have to pay Rodgers. At a certain point, there's not enough money to go around and it's not a premium position, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But paying that guy $11 million, if he's the right center for you, especially if you have a young quarterback, other aspects of your trajectory, that can be worth it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that, you know, when I look at this market and I think, okay, what can teams do to help their young quarterbacks? 
I think Ryan Jensen just stands out as like the obvious player to go for. I've been banging um, this drum for like three months. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> lot, I, I don't know if you know this, Mace, but, but both our teams have young quarterbacks who could use a little bit of help. And I think Ryan Jensen would be probably a pretty good signing for either of them. Yeah, it, it is funny. I mean, just again, my own personal biases aside, like looking at every single list, it's like so many of those deals at the top of the market, so many instantly are regrettable <laughs> instantly at most positions and i mean these center contracts not only are they not instantly regrettable but mm-hmm. these guys are playing these out they're oh, hitting sure. free agency again yep. because of how good these deals are and that's just such a rarity at the top of the market yeah mac and jensen both i mean it's always funny when i used to do grades for espn people would be like why are you such a hard grader you're so negative and i'm like have, have you guys seen how bad free agent contracts work out most of the time like you know, center is definitely a place where people have found, you know, pretty significant long-term returns on the deals they handed out. And yes, it is a small sample, but like no one's going off of big samples in any other positions. I mean, I, I absolutely think that if I were a team and I would say, okay, we have to help a young quarterback, given what's available on the market this year, unless you can go out and get, um, I don't know, Toronto Armstead maybe. And even then, I think I might prefer Jensen. Um where do you think he ends up? That's a really good question. I, I think it depends on what other signings happen. Like if you're Miami, I could understand him wanting to go to Miami or them wanting him if they don't pay Armstead. So there are just certain other dominoes that have to fall. If you're Cincinnati, do you think that he's enough of an upgrade over Trey Hopkins where you would rather move on and, and have Ryan Jensen? I mean, you could absolutely say the answer is yes. So I, so many teams should be in the market for him that it's hard to know exactly where he's going to land. Is there another Trey Hopkins I'm not aware of that Ryan Jensen is not a significant upgrade on? Of course he's a significant upgrade, but I think they like Trey Hopkins. They like certain aspects of Trey Hopkins. He's a smart guy. Sure. A relationship with your quarterback. It has sure. to be a clear, clear upgrade for them to move on from him, and I think Ryan Jensen would represent that upgrade. You know what the good news is? They also need guards, Mays, and Trey Hopkins can play guard as well. All right. What's your next one? What is my next one? Hmm. Wait, did I do the last one? I did running backs. You did center. I did centers. I guess my 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 fourth one was center, so I have one more left. Okay, that's fine because I have one more left too. Okay, this is a this is a sort of big picture one, and it's sort of alluding vaguely to what we've talked about so far. But this is don't pay through the odds at positions where you can typically find guys for cheap. You can typically develop guys for cheap in the later rounds of the draft, and running back is I think the obvious one. But there's other positions where I also feel like this comes up. Linebacker is brutal. Yep, off-ball linebacker, like not pass-rushing linebacker comes to mind. Um, the Raiders alone have enough disaster off-ball linebacker stories over the last five years. Think I about mean, the recent ones. Corey Littleton, Quan Alexander, C.J. Mosley. I mean, these just don't work out very well. They just don't. And even if they're great, like C.J. Mosley was pretty much like, you know, perfect. He was like, like there was no flaws in C.J. Mosley's resume. He just got paid so much more money than the Ravens were willing to pay. And he gets hurt in his first game with the Jets after a pick six, by the way, of Josh Allen. And just a disaster. I mean, they couldn't have seen a COVID opt-out coming. They couldn't have seen him getting hurt. But it just did not work out. Um, kicker, uh, Greg Zerline in Dallas has been inconsistent. Jason Myers was a mess last year. I, I don't want to rub it in, but Cody Parkey was the most prominent free agent signing at kicker over the last several years. I, I don't want to talk about that too much for your sake. Um, and <laughs> I've then, already had enough of a bad day. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and the slot guys. I mean, slot receivers, Adam Humphreys, Danny Amendola, Jamison Crowder, Curtis Samuel, Randall Cobb, 
Albert Wilson, again, I talked about it earlier, Colt Beasley is like the rare exception here. Slot corners, Justin Coleman, Aaron Colvin, Kendall Fuller, Bryce Callahan, Patrick Robinson, Mike Hilton with the Bengals. And again, the one exception. Oh, sorry. The, the enormous cardboard cutout of my dog that I'm taking to my wedding in a couple of weeks. Still over. <laughs> sorry about that. And even, even box safeties. Like today, Landon Collins was cut by Washington. And yes, again, they could not have seen him tearing his Achilles. But these deals don't typically work out. Tony Jefferson, Rayshon Jenkins with the Jags so far, Jonathan Cyprian. Um, maybe Jordan Poy is the exception here. But like, like, you're going to have exceptions at every position. There's always something that's going to work out. You're always going to have that that maybe 10% of the time or 15% of the time. But with these free agent moves, like there's no guarantee that you're going to have a perfect situation and there's no guarantee that it's going to fail. But you have to at least use history as a guy. You have to at least use what you know from the past from other teams to question yourself, to say, okay, why is this guy going to be exception? Why are we a better fit for this guy? Than somebody else why are we going to get this right when so many other teams have gotten this wrong and i think there are teams out there who do that and still make mistakes uh but the vast majority of teams still don't treat that history like it means very much i was so i was looking through all these lists of free agent classes over the last couple of years earlier today and adam humphreys jumped out to me because you know that adrian amos and adam humphreys got the exact same deal in free agency when they were free agents can i tell you an adam humphreys story of course. So I wrote about Adam Humphreys and I hated that deal. I gave it like a D for ESPN. And I wrote like, this is such a bad deal. Smart teams like the Patriots don't don't ever do this. They develop their receivers. And then later that day it came out that the Patriots were trying to sign Adam Humphreys to the same deal and he chose Tennessee. <laughs> and I was like, well, I feel stupid. But also like, I, like this is a, it's a position they were able to sell. They got Jacoby Myers as a UFA and he's been a much better player than Adam Humphreys. I mean, I mean, especially for the money. I mean, it's not even had, close. Not only that, they had drafted Braxton Berrios that year and Braxton Berrios has turned out to be a better player than Adam Humphreys over the last couple of years. Like, like I think there are so many spots in the NFL where we see guys break out and we see guys develop from relative obscurity into being useful players. The Jaguars with James Robinson are the classic example. And Instead of just trusting that, okay, there's more guys out there like that we can go find, teams say, okay, well, this guy proved it, so we need a guy who's proven it. And that doesn't mean anything. It's because you've proven it in the past. does not mean you're going to prove it in the future. And I think that is the um, – like that leap of faith teams have to take. It's so tough that even the Patriots, the best running organization in the league in, in many cases, are, are sometimes struggle to take that leap. So I, I just think it's – you know, it's easy for me to say as not a GM who doesn't have to make these decisions, but – I think time after time, just the guys in those spots um, disappoint when they get bigger contracts. I, I, that makes total sense to me. All right, my last one here. Yep. I think the sweet spot that you should be hunting in, and it obviously it differs for positional value and a lot of considerations here, but just stick with me. About three and a half to five percent of the total cap for these deals is where you see a lot of success stories. Yeah. Look at last year, ju- just 2021. That's where Matt Filer is. Janoris mm-hmm. Jenkins, Chidobi Awuzie, Danico Autry. Go back a couple of years. That's where Emmanuel Agba is. Ashawn Robinson, who you just mentioned. Von mm-hmm. Bell. Robert Woods is, to me, one of the best free agent success oh, yeah. stories in recent years. That's where he was. A lot of those Bills deals, the Poyer deal, the Hyde deal, mm-hmm. the Cole Beasley deal, they're in that range. 
And I think the couple really specific examples from as recently as last season are super telling in my opinion. The Titans signed Janoris Jenkins to a $7 million a year contract. Janoris Jenkins is not an overly exciting player. No. But Janoris Jenkins for $7 million compared to the $13 million that the Giants gave the guy he was replacing, Adoree mm-hmm. Jackson, you would rather have Janoris Jenkins in that spot every single time, especially uh, for, for the money. Yes, unfortunately so. Chidobi Awuzie is a direct response to what the Bengals did the year before, giving Trey Wayans mm-hmm. twice as much money as they gave Chidobi Awuzie. So I would so much rather be hunting in that seven to nine million dollar range for especially positions like corner and offensive line, where all you need is functional pieces. Mm-hmm. That that is how I think you should weaponize free agency to your advantage. Is not to say how can we go get the best players. It's how can we use this as a tool to create the best team, and that is to me the biggest thing you can learn from the Bills is that the Bills have done such a great job in free agency, so rarely shopping at the top of the market. Mm-hmm. They're using this as a way to plug holes, and especially at positions where the unit is more important than individual talent, like the secondary, the offensive line. So that, to me, is the big takeaway. Like That range, there are plenty of examples the other way, but I think for the most part, the contracts you're going to feel best about in the moment, two, three, five years from now, are right in that three and a half to five percent of the cap range. Sorry, I was distracted. Every time you said hunted, I just imagined you with like camouflage and uh, <laughs> uh, a, a hairnet, just just hunting for centers to take your calls and sign for the Bears. I mean, I I agree, and like I think that's a that is something that I think you can do as a organizational philosophy. It's not just about totally. signing one player in that role, but it's about okay. We're going to approach free agency over the next three years, and that's going to be uh, the space we're operating in. We're not going to stray from that. We're not going to, you know, it, it, I guess Bengals did a little bit like they did with Hendrickson. That turned out to be great when I hated it. What do you think you would take from that? Because I think that's kind of an exception to a lot of the conversations we've had today. And I was even thinking that as I was prepping for this. Is there anything you think you can take from the Hendrickson contract as an early success story? I mean, I hated the Trey Hendrickson contract, and I hated the Sedaria Smith contract, and I was over two on both those deals. And I think there is a element of I felt the same way how how teams are going to be, you know, using players. And I think there's um, you know, something that said, that stood me well in the past was sort of a combination of two things with, with edge rushers. Number one, like don't I don't love guys getting big deals when they have one year of production. And I don't love guys getting big deals when they're not the primary pass rushers for their teams. Like if it's a secondary piece uh, or a guy who's, you know, in a blitz happy scheme like the Ravens getting a big deal, like I'm thinking about like Paul Kruger is a good example where I was like, okay, well, like what are the chances Paul Kruger is a legit number one pass rusher when he's getting paid like that and didn't turn out to be that guy. Um, but Cedarius Smith turned out to be a really useful player for the Packers when healthy. And Trey Henderson was a beast. He was a monster last year. And I think – Two players are not enough. I think there's enough examples to the contrary to go against that. But I think at least I'm softening my stance. I'm at least saying, okay, like Trey Hendrickson, you know, honestly, I, I don't know that I would change how I felt. Like he was, he was, he was good for the Saints the year before, but like he didn't have a ton of knockdowns. It wasn't like he had a great 
you know, underlying performance. I think his win rates were good, but not great. Like he just had a lot of he had a him. lot of pressures. But I just went back and I watched him, and I was like, yeah. I just don't know about this guy, man. I mean, he's a little stiff. Like I just don't know what he really brings. He's just not my style of rusher, and I think that blinded me a little bit to it. But you know what, dude, dude, dude can play. Dude yeah, is an absolute monster. I think um. You know, one of the guys he reminds me of, or one of the situations that reminds me of, was Cal Vandenbosch, where Cal Vandenbosch was in Arizona and then oh, went man. to Tennessee, Throw became a superstar. Um, but Cal Vandenbosch had a torn ACL. He wasn't. It wasn't like he got a big deal to join Tennessee. Like I, I think, you know, if I'm going to be wrong on Trey Henderson, which I'm, I am 100% wrong. I've admitted it multiple times. I'm happy to be wrong. No matter what else happens from here on out, Trey Hendrickson pushed that team to a Super Bowl. That contract was good 10 times out of 10. Like, I think being wary about those deals is still the right attitude to have. I think it's if, if, if someone thinks it's a great deal, I'm not going to be as skeptical as I would have been in years past. But I think that, you know, it's going to take more players like that for me to be surprised maybe it's just going to be because guys are not going to get the opportunities they have early in their rookie contracts maybe um you know there's going to be different factors for each guy but i just think that that's been such a good rule for so long that i'm scared to get off that prior now yeah i i think that's totally fair uh, and uh, that's kind of how i feel about it it's like oh, i was wrong but you know that it's just there's been buy everywhere in that range before and i think that we should keep that in mind all right this was really fun um, I appreciate the time as always, buddy. It's so good to chat with you. I, I know that I have taken a lot from the way that you see this stuff. So I hope other people will as well. Anytime you need someone to do a lessons podcast, as you know, I'm here. I know. I appreciate that, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. It's time now to welcome one of my favorite people in the salary cap analysis, just the financials of the NFL space, somebody who is an invaluable resource to me. CBS Sports is Joel Corey. Joel, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I sincerely appreciate it. Oh, sure, no problem. So I, I wanted to have, have a conversation with you because I think it's an important precursor to the NFL offseason and the spending sprees that teams go on, and even already what's happened this offseason, to kind of get a grasp of how teams manipulate and approach the salary cap. And the team I wanted to start with this right now, after what the week that was, is the Green Bay Packers. They hand Aaron Rodgers a massive contract extension. They franchise tag Devontae Adams. As I'm sitting here staring at it right now, they're set to be $45 million over the salary cap. So just on a basic level, how is Green Bay specifically, in your mind, going to approach this? Or how should they? Well, they've already made a dent in the overage because they restructured three contracts which were givens to me. David Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, and Aaron Jones. Uh, Rodgers, once the extension is finalized and signed, he's going to create some cap room. Um, He's got a $46.6 million cap hit, which is the second largest in the NFL. If it's Anything like the previous contract where he had the largest signing bonus in NFL history at the time, which is now Dak Prescott at $66 million, they're, they're going to drop his base salary down to league minimum or close to it. And his signing bonus will be, say, $70 million. If they go that route, they'll pick up probably $12, 13000000 million in cap space. So that helps take care of part of it. Um, they could create more cap room if he's willing to be more flexible in the amount of money he has coming in in 2022. 
where there's a huge roster bonus next year and they worry about it, March roster bonus, it'll be essentially fully guaranteed. And then they can convert it next year so they can pick up even more cap space, maybe 20 million, 18 million if they go that route. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that deal is structured. Um, having Aaron Rodgers stay should give Devontae Adams more leverage because the whole reason he's staying totally. is because of wide receiver. And the franchise tag number is a shade over 20 million. Since they don't do conventional guarantees, except for Aaron Rodgers, they have to give him a massive signing bonus. Probably the biggest four nine quarterback in NFL history, which right now is Aaron Donald at 40 million. So you give him a big signing bonus, low base salary, you're gonna chop that franchise tag number in half if you do if they get the deal done in a timely fashion. And he's going to be the highest paid wide receiver. The Packers didn't want to acknowledge the DeAndre Hopkins extension, but deals to negotiate over new money. All they had three years left. The new money averages $27.25 million. So it's going to be way up there now that he has an expiring contract and they need the cap space. Another way they can possibly get it is cutting Zadarius Smith. They'll pick up like $15 million that way. I thought one of the Smith brothers, maybe both will be gone, but he's the most likely one. If they can get Jair Alexander done, he's got almost he's got a $13.3 million fifth-year option. They can lower the cap hit that way. And if they don't, they can borrow a page from what the Saints did last year, which is you get him to agree to convert everything but minimum salary into a signing bonus. You add four voiding dummy years, and you stick high base salaries in those years so you have flexibility to do the deal the way you want to do it, which is what they did with Marshawn Lattimore, you're going to pick up probably eight, nine, ten million that way. So I wanted to ask you something you said. They don't do conventional guarantees outside of Rodgers. What does that mean? Well, there are three teams in the league which are in the dark ages structurally to me. The Packers, <laughs> the Steelers, and the Bengals. Now, They'll give you a huge signing bonus for veteran contracts. And then in year two and year three for the bigger contracts, they'll have these unsecured third or fifth day of the league year roster bonuses. So you're still vulnerable. And a guy that happened to recently, maybe three years ago now, was Nick Perry. People are like, who's he? Oh, I remember Nick Perry. Yeah. Yeah. He had a, like a $6 million roster bonus and they cut him. If it'd been guaranteed, maybe they don't. But that's how they structure their deals. That was a big holdup with T.J. Watt last year because the only person that ever had any type of salary guarantees was Ben Roethlisberger, and they were injury only. So they made a huge departure with T.J. Watt and gave him base salary guarantees and a signing bonus. We had $80 million fully guaranteed at signing. The Bengals do the deals just like the Steelers and the Packers do for everyone except Aaron Rodgers. And the one I'm keeping an eye on is not anything this year, but Joe Burrow, when the time comes, they're probably going to have to throw that convention out the window and start a new precedent with him. Now, if I'm the agent for some of these top offensive linemen free agents, and I know how Cincinnati structures deals, they're not going to be the most attractive destination to me from a guarantee standpoint, and they would have to front load the contract from a cash standpoint just to make it 
attractive to me if I represented one of those guys. But they've been able to get away with it from years. Trey Hendrickson took that structure. Trey Waynes took that structure. So I anticipate that agents won't have much pushback on it. And the real litmus test will be um, Joe Burrow. This is the stuff that's fascinating to me. Is you know, These little accounting quirks that each team has and the way that they do things. So with Rodgers, and, and I want to talk about the Saints in relation to the, the Packers here in a second. But you mentioned that there's a chance that they would do a structure where there's a huge roster bonus next year that they can convert to a signing bonus and create space that way. Based on my very, very novice understanding of this, that's how Patrick Mahomes' deal is structured in some ways, right? He has a roster bonus this year that can be converted into a signing bonus. Why don't more teams lean on those roster bonuses as a lever they can pull to kind of create space in future years? Well, you only want to do the restructures of guys you think are going to be around. Otherwise, you come into problems with dead money. And the Steelers had that problem maybe three years ago. Because they had done restructures with Antonio Brown, not and this is when everyone thought Antonio Brown was pretty much a normal football player <laughs> who didn't have drama everywhere he went. There were some isolated incidents he got out, but I don't think Mike Tomlin gets enough credit for being able to handle that situation and not have it disrupt the team. But they restructured his contract, uh, turned roster bonus and base salary and signing bonus, they need a man to trade. And at the time, his, I think it was like 20, almost 21 million in dead money. It was one of the biggest ever, right? It it, it was the largest ever at that time. It's been surpassed significantly. Carson Wentz will come for you. (laughs) Yeah, but they were were probably anticipating he's a stable guy on the team. He's going to be here for the duration. And then he demands a trade and you have a problem. So, you have to be careful on who you pick to do the restructures. Otherwise, you're going to have a ton of dead money. But Mahomes' deal is unique from the standpoint that it's so long. Yeah. It's a 10-year extension. And he's got roster bonuses of like starting next, it's like 27 and a half this year. And it's like over $35 million in the next three, four years and upwards to close to $50 million when it peaks. But that was designed specifically to create cap room. But the bigger issue with him is we already have a reported $50 million per year quarterback. I can't imagine after winning a Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford isn't coming in above Mahomes. The only way he doesn't is if he tells his agent, Tom Condon, that, yeah, I'm going to give the Rams a slight financial break to try to run it back. Matthew Stafford's made a lot of money playing football. <laughs> yeah, he's made, I think, $240 million. That I would consider that a lot. That's more than I've made doing this. Yeah, Rodgers has made two sixty five dollars before this contract. But we'll see if, if uh, uh, Rodgers isn't taking a discount. We'll see if Stafford, if, if the reports are, are accurate. We'll see if Stafford does, but if left to Tom Condon's devices, that thing's coming in 46, 47 million. I don't know if Russell Wilson gets a deal this year or next year, but his first extension made him the second highest paid player in the league. Then he leapfrogged Aaron Rodgers to become the highest paid when he signed in 2019. He's going to be way up there. And those two studs, 
who won't be eligible until the end of the 2022 regular season for contract extensions, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, I expect them to go past Rodgers. And we haven't gotten to Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and then Derek Carr. If he's going to get a market value extension, he's probably got a four is the first digit. And we know Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, not Kirk, like, which I don't want to say Kirk Cousins, <laughs> like Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah, he, he isn't anyone who cuts anybody any break financially. So this Patrick Mahomes contract at some point becomes a problem from, for the Chiefs because he's going to look at everyone around the league or quarterbacks is going to be human nature and go, hey, I'm underpaid because I'm old enough to remember Magic Johnson at one point signing a 25-year, $25, $25 million contract. How'd that work out for him? He had to readjust it at some point in time. So I'm curious, if we look at the Packers situation and we compare it to the last several years of the Saints' approach to this, where they're trying to pry open the window with Drew Brees, they understand there's only a certain limited amount of time they can do this. Is there anything magic about what the Saints were able to do? Anything that, as somebody who really appreciates the art of this stuff, you found yourself kind of nodding, be like, oh, that's, that's well done there. Or is it something where they just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and there's really nothing magic about it? Eventually, they're going to pay for this. Well, they did kind of pay for it last year because the one thing you no one could have expected was a pandemic where revenues drop and then the cap drops from 198.2 million to 182.5. So you teams playing in three-year snapshots. So that was unforeseen. And that caught a lot of teams off guard, but particularly the Saints, because they had about $110 million of cap commitments they had to shed to be compliant when the 2021 league year started, then found a way to franchise uh, Marcus Williams for 10.6 million. I didn't think that was possible, but Truly shocking. Just you're, one you're of the more able, surprising things I can remember. You're going to be able to outrun it when the cap increases. And we're going to have the new media rights deal starting to hit the cap next year. We will have paid back the money that we had to borrow to keep the cap from going off of a cliff last year. So I know some teams conservatively, and they have to project conservatively, have the cap at 225 to 230 next year. That's conservative. So let's say it's 235. Where's it going to be in 2024? 260, 265? So you can probably outrun kicking the can down the road with the cap increases. And that's it seems like the Packers are well served to follow the Saints playbook when it comes to this stuff. They're not going to have a choice. Yeah. So I'm curious, are there teams that are also up against it pretty consistently year to year, whether it's the Chiefs, it's the Rams, teams willing to eat dead money, teams that are kind of saying we're all in all the time. Is there anything unique about the way one of those teams approaches this, one that stands out to you compared to the rest, just the way they approach the finances of the process? Well, Philadelphia has been a team past couple of years that has been very aggressive with the salary cap, more so than you might think. They're bordering in the Saints' territory. They'll stick an option bonus and do a restructure early where they're already creating the cap room, avoiding dummy years, which a lot of teams had to do last year for cap dropping, 
Um, so they already have the second restructure planned with the option bonus. Um, the Rams are unique from the standpoint they haven't met a premium pick they liked, but that doesn't mean they don't have a lot of draft picks. They just have them day three, third round on second part of day two, but they do have a good part of their roster composed of draft picks, but they love dead money in Los Angeles. <laughs> They're certainly not afraid of it. Well, they had Todd Gurley had substantial dead money between the two years. It was split. It was 20 million. Brandon Cooks was like 21, eight. And then between this year, between the dead money for Jared Goff and the actual cap hit for Matthew Stafford, the dead money was bigger. They had 44.7 million of cap devoted to the quarterback position with just those two guys. So when teams say, oh, you can't win the Super Bowl when you have a lot of money and the cap tied up in the quarterback, you can point to that one because more of it was in dead money. And what the dead money does, it means that you have less actual cap space for players who are on your roster who can make a contribution. So they have like $40 million in dead money this year, and they're not. that's one team that definitely is not afraid of having a substantial part of their cap just be a sunk cost, which can't go to improve to improving the team. On a basic level, is there any? How do they survive that? Well, they've got great players, and (laughs) that's that's one thing they've done. They've decided, well, we're going to have a pick at the back of the first round. I'd rather have Jalen Ramsey, who's the highest paid corner for now. than a draft pick, which may or may not hit. And, and they've been able to, like this year, they gave up more in draft compensation than they should have to acquire Von Miller. He had like 9-7 of cash left when they made the trade, but they gave up a second and a third. And part of that was so Denver would eat $9 million a salary on the way out the door so they only had to take on seven hundred twenty-two thousand. So they're been they've been able to manipulate things that way as well. But they've been very active in the high-end trade market. Also, doesn't hurt when you have Aaron Donald on your team. Sure, the the good players thing is often the solution to all of these problems. But I was wondering if it was more complicated than that. So outside of Philadelphia, who's been creative, are there other teams that you would characterize as the best teams? at manipulating the cap to their advantage as they stay aggressive and stay hungry in this? San Francisco. I like some of the things that that they do. And sometimes when I say I like things that a team does, it's stuff I wouldn't like from the agent standpoint. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Because they have a late guarantee date in their contracts. Typically, when salary guarantees vest, it's the third day of the league year, the fifth day of the league year. Theirs is always April 1st. I don't know how they've been able to do that, but it's April 1st. One thing that they require in almost every contract is pretty substantial per game roster bonuses, which I hated as an agent, but it gives them cap relief if a player gets hurt because you have to be on the active roster for that particular game to earn the amount for the per game roster bonus. And I'll give you an example of how, how that works. Uh, once upon a time, they had a quarterback named Colin Kaepernick. And in his contract, 
had $2 million each season of per game roster bonuses. There was one season where he missed about half of the season, cost him about a million dollars because of the per game roster bonus. He wasn't suiting up those games, so he's out of the money. They get cap relief and a cash break when that happens. I hated those when I was an agent. And they did something which was pretty unique with the Jimmy Garoppolo contract. First, no one expected them to give make him the highest paid player in the league after five big games, but they did it in a very team friendly manner. That that first year, he had like a twenty eight million dollar roster bonus, which was counting all in the first year, a small signing bonus. Which is why when they eventually trade him, they're going to pick up like twenty point twenty five point five million dollars in cap space because the dead money is minimal. Even last year. There was very little dead money on his deal, right? I mean, they could have traded him last year and got almost all of the savings back, which is pretty rare for a quarterback contract to have two years of almost no dead money. That is very rare. It's just that they didn't. I wouldn't have gone with Trey Lance last year for one reason. Out of all those first round quarterbacks, he was to me the least ready because he didn't play at all. It was a one year starter, and then they played one game during the pandemic year. So he was never going to be ready to play, even though they were toying with the idea. We'll have a package for him, but that went out the window very quickly. But to me, you give up everything to go from 12 to 3 to get him. I don't really see Jimmy Garoppolo being around this year. And the way the quarterback market is shaking out, I don't know who plays in Indianapolis. But as it stands right now, Derek Carr is going to be a Raider. And Kirk Cousins is going to be with the Vikings. So if you're the Colts, who's your guy? So here's my thought with the veterans, right? Here's my thought with Cousins, Carr, Garoppolo, whoever it might be. Maybe not Garoppolo because I think the ceiling is lower. But I was thinking about this today as it relates to, let's say, hypothetically, Derek Carr and the Colts. So if you trade for Derek Carr and you're Indianapolis, he has one year left on his deal, right? After that, he's probably looking at, like you said, a deal worth $40 million a year at least. Could you, in theory rationalize making that deal you pay him i think it's 21 this year or something in that range yeah, tag- you're, already, you're already ahead you're already ahead seven million between Wentz and car that way 100 percent contract so let's say the, the tag next year is 34 and a second tag would be 40 Here, here's the problem i know where you're going with that but here's the problem most quarterbacks get the exclusive tag not the non-exclusive tag and that's a different calculation that is the average of top five salaries in that particular league year at the end of the restricted free agent signing period. But restructures get frozen the day you tag the guy. So let's say Patrick Mahomes' deal gets restructured to a lower cap number. Two days after they stuck a tag on him with an exclusive tag, you're stuck with that higher cap number for those calculation purposes. And that number is going to be well over $40 million. So you're talking two tags, then average that. It's a different calculation than two tags averaging the non-exclusive tag. So that was my thought, is if two that's tags... Figured, that's where I figured you were going. If two tags landed somewhere around $74 million for the two years beyond this, and you're paying them 21 this year, then you're yeah, sitting you there... Be talking 90, you might be talking 95. That's three years 95, though. Three years 95 is palatable no, to No, no, I'm talking 95 for the two tags plus the 20. Oh, yeah, exactly. So now now we're, you might as well extend him because it gives you the flexibility, and then, right? And here's the problem. that I'm waiting, I'm waiting for this to happen with a non-exclusive franchise tag for a non-quarterback. 
if you ever stuck an Audi Stevenson tag on a quarterback, given the compensation teams have been given up for the better non-quarterbacks, like maybe Larry, Larry Thompson was not the best example, but Jalen Ramsey went for more than two first-round picks, so did Khalil Mack. And the compensation for an unmatched offer seat is two first-round picks. So if he's the best compensation for a non-quarterback is more than two first-round picks, you stick a non-exclusive tag on a quarterback for two first-round picks, at some point, someone's going to pull Absolutely. the trigger on that. That's all I had for you. I really just wanted to pick your brain about some of this stuff. If you guys are not reading Joel's work on CBS, I'm telling you, it is so, so valuable to understanding the landscape of some of this stuff. He wrote, I think today, about some of the guys that he'd want to be representing in this market based on some of the numbers that they might hit. Even as somebody who thinks about this stuff all the time, the work that Joel is doing over there is so, so important. You guys will learn a ton if you go check it out. I really appreciate the time, man. It's always good to chat with you. Sure, Tom. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. That's all we got. Really enjoyed today's show. Thank you to Bill. Thank you to Joel. On Saturday, please check out the Football GM on Apple Audio Plus or the Athletic app if you are a subscriber to those. Mike and Randy Mueller do such a great job, so please go check that out. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. A little bit of housekeeping for next week. Lindsay is going to be joining me on Monday. We're going to talk about... The teams that kind of hold the cards this offseason, a team like the Chargers, who obviously just made a huge move today, but probably have some other moves to make, teams with cap space, teams that have reasons to be aggressive. We're going to talk about that on Monday. And then starting Monday afternoon, every day next week, as free agency gets ramped up, we're going to have a live reaction show. We're going to do it at 4 p.m. Eastern on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And we're going to have all of our friends. We're going to be reacting to those signings as they happen, as the tampering period starts to ramp up. So please be on the lookout for that. One of my favorite stretches of the year. Excited to share that time with you guys. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend. As always, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.